Hello everyone. Welcome to the October Essential Vegan Desserts live event. So I'm Fran Costigan. I'm the director of vegan pastry at the Ruby Culinary School and I'm the lead instructor for the Essential Vegan Desserts course and I just love Ruby. I'm happy to see everyone who comes to the live events because they're a highlight of my month. We're going to be talking today about the upcoming holiday season. Of course, when I was talking with Patrick, our producer, about the topic for this month, I was thinking, well, Thanksgiving is coming and Hanukkah actually, I think, overlaps with Thanksgiving. And then there's Christmas and Kwanzaa, New Year's, you know, before you know it. But of course, I want to take this opportunity before we get to the I started to say the meat of the subject, the beans of the subject, the dessert of the subject, to welcome my new students in Essential Vegan Desserts. The new course started last week, I think, or the week before. And any of my graduates, any other Ruby students and guests, everyone, I appreciate your taking time out of your day to be here today. I have just something that I want to remind essential vegan dessert students about and that is if you haven't already joined the facebook group we have a private facebook group please do uh it's a great place to share photos ask for some advice if you need a new piece of equipment you might want to say well i need a new stand mixer or a hand mixer or a blender or a whisk you know is there anything that any of you like or think I should avoid. If you have a problem of a technical nature while you're going through the course, write to support at ruby.com and someone will get back to you quickly. Uh, and if there's a question about one of the assignments, you can always reach me at fran at ruby.com, but within on, on the dashboard, at the assignments or any of the activities and units, there is a Q&A there. And if you have a question, you may already see that an answer that your question has been asked or a form of your question. So that's a good place to look as well. And if you have, as I said, any further questions, there's all those different ways to reach out to me, reach out to Ruby. So please feel free to do that. I'm going to show you a couple of things and talk to you about how I plan for the holiday season and holiday desserts. And it might surprise some of you to know that I plan for holiday desserts by planning for savory food as well, because it's not a good idea to go into work mode when you're hungry and desserts are celebratory. I celebrate desserts. I love desserts. I think they certainly have a place in a healthful diet, but we need our savory food as well. So the first thing that I do when I'm, or one of the first things that I do when I'm planning for a holiday season is to relax. And when I say that now after many years in a different time in my life where I wasn't so relaxed, I mean, I'm going to tell you something. It, I've had a couple of what I call incarnations in my life. You know, life 
growing up, I thought life went in a straight line and it certainly doesn't. I think most of us here have experienced some of that. There was a time when I had <laughs> such a big dining room that I had a table that opened to seat 36 people. Can you imagine? And I had all the family holidays and celebrations and so on. And that's a lot of dishes and things. And it was really thrilling, but I got very organized about it. And I did that. I have transitioned to a simpler life and I'm very happy about that. I still like to entertain, of course, entertaining these last two years, maybe it's going on three years now, has been quite different. But I've simplified my life so that I'm not going to have 36 people in my home any longer. I don't think they would fit in this apartment. But I still want to make food that will appeal to everyone. And you know, I eat plant-based. So when you come to my home, it's going to be a plant-based or vegan meal, whatever label you want to give to it. But there is a way to satisfy everyone because food should taste good. Food should be satisfying and it should taste good. So I, I'm a, I would say that I'm a list maker and I'm also in the moment. So there's a little bit of both. I sketch out, I kind of draft an idea about what I want to do for a holiday celebration. And for me, a holiday celebration, the meal is perhaps more elaborate or has more courses than my everyday kind of eating, which is I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of bowl food. I have very pretty bowls. They, and I put them together and I'm very satisfied, but for holidays, I want something more elaborate. Now it might be different in your family or your fam, your family or your family of friends. But I think about what is it that the people that I spend my holidays with enjoy. I know there have been years <laughs> that I really changed things up because I was feeling very creative. And there's always a couple of folks who are disappointed. They're like, but where's the cranberry sauce in the can? Of course, I know how to make fresh cranberries. And in fact, I have some on my counter right now. I've been picking up cranberries as I see them in the market. I'm going to open the bags. I'm going to wash them. I'm going to dry them, pat them dry. I'm going to put them in my freezer so they will be ready for when I need them. But growing up in our family, my mom opened a lot of cans. And so the jellied cranberry sauce is something that some of my aunts and cousins remembered and wanted on the table. So you want to think about, you know, tradition. What is your tradition and what can you do to keep the tradition while making it perhaps more healthful? And that is by making our own food, because when we aren't relying on prepared foods, we are already cutting quite a bit of the salt out of the added sugars and other additives. So it becomes more healthful. This year for sure, we know that there are supply, what they're calling supply chain issues. I know from going to the grocery stores and I have wonderful shops to choose from in Philadelphia, 
I've seen a lot of empty shelves and I heard on the news this morning that things are going to get worse. Well, I am, my home is stocked. I like to have enough ingredients because I'm also very frequently testing recipes and so on. So I have a good stock of ingredients and I'm not going to worry about that. But when it comes to fresh produce, for example, if I have in my mind that I want to make something with butternut squash and there is only, and I'm seeing a different kind of squash. There are so many and I really like them all. I'm going to get the other squash. If I don't see any, well, maybe that squash dish is going to be made from another root vegetable. So I would encourage you not to stress about, oh, I couldn't get exactly that. But if you start stocking your pantry now, with ingredients that you know you'll use. I mean, for me, these are staple ingredients and make sure that they're fresh. We do a reset in the Ruby courses and I think that's a really great thing. So I'm gonna show you a couple of things. In this little basket, I have some fresh ingredients and some ingredients that aren't and might surprise you. This is silica, food grade silica desiccant packages. I use them with when I'm making meringues and I want them to hold. And you know, meringues can get very soft from humidity. Whether they're made from aquafaba or egg white, that happens. I'll use some desiccant in there. I've got some organic pumpkin, not pumpkin pie spice, but pumpkin puree here. I've got tape and a pen because I really encourage you all to label what you make ahead clearly and add a date. The couple of times that I don't listen to what I tell other people, advise other people as I go, what is that? I just can't tell. I picked up some fresh cornmeal. This stays in my freezer because I don't want it to be rancid. I've got some fine cornmeal here because cornbread is always part of my holiday. These are rolled oats that I lightly toasted and it will say lightly toasted rolled oats. <laughs> I see Shore Nolan is here, Chef Shore, and I want to say hi because I, I gave her one of these too. This seemed kind of silly to me, but this is a a kale and shard and, and, you know, a green stripper. And it's actually really fun. You want to make sure if you're a dessert chef that you have baking powder and baking soda and that the baking powder and baking soda are fresh. This can says expired and it is expired. I actually picked it up from a shop and I didn't look at the bottom date and it was already expired. Now, maybe it still works. There's a way to test it. You take some of your baking powder, mix it with a little bit of water and it should fizz. Uh, if it's baking soda, it doesn't. But anyway, I have, I use double acting aluminum free baking powder. I have plenty. When I worked in restaurants, we bought the really giant sizes. I encourage people not to do that because there is a shelf life for sure. When I'm in the market and I see these non-bleached, unbleached 
baking cups. I pick them up. They're handy to have. And something like this tends to sell out pretty quickly. <laughs> this is a half recipe of the chocolate pudding, <laughs> the almost instant chocolate pudding that I really love. And, you know, every once in a while, a little treat. So here it is. And it says half recipe pudding. So it's like that. I've got pumpkin seeds that are already roasted and cooled. I don't use oil. I just toast my seeds in a, and nuts in a very low oven, about 300 degrees instead of 350 or even 325. I think low and slow is the way to go. Let them cool, put them in your fridge with a label. Many of you know that I'm a big fan of aquafaba and aqua, making aquafaba meringue. This is only one jar of the many jars of aquafaba that has already been reduced. And so all I have to do is defrost it and it's ready to whip into meringue. I can make meringue cookies. I can do baked Alaska ready to go. Same thing with this has some frost on it, date paste and prune puree. I always make them ahead. So here I've got some of the sweeteners. If I'm getting ready to do a dessert, and certainly during holiday time when things get a little bit more hectic, because there are more, I'm making a couple of cakes, I'm making a couple of pies and some puddings, I don't want to stop and get my sugars prepared. So this is vegan cane sugar that has been lightly ground, lightly roughed up. We talk about in the course that all white sugar, table sugar, which we don't use at all, the crystal is smaller than the most fine vegan sugar, vegan cane sugar you can find in the market. So I just rough up a whole bunch in a food processor and store it. This is the same cane sugar, organic vegan cane sugar that has been powdered. So it's ready for using with meringue. And I do have desiccant in here. Same thing with, oh, this is cool. I've got coconut sugar with the label on it so I know which coconut sugar it was because the different brands well they're different and this has been already powdered and it says coconut sugar powdered and there is a date on it and this is maple sugar again with a desiccant package packet in it because these sugars are more hygroscopic than a white table sugar meaning they hold more moisture. So even in an airtight container, they might lump up. So my maple sugar. So my sugars, my granulated sweeteners are pretty much together. I've got maple syrup grade A dark, which used to be grade B, but now it's marketed as grade A dark. You want the dark. It gives you the most flavor. It's a little less expensive. I buy it. I keep it in the freezer so that it doesn't ferment and it doesn't freeze solid. It just gets a bit more viscous. So that's the story with that. I think you might be able to see behind me that I've got lots of bowls. I always make sure that I have my bowls already, my cake pans, my tart pans are clean 
that I've got parchment paper fit to the bottom and ready to go. Cake boards, all of my tools. I go through all my tools and I make sure. So if I've got a list of recipes, then I will have the list of recipes or the idea that I want, the ingredients that I need to make these recipes, and also what pan do I need to make the recipes. Something that I do that I think really is helpful is, you know, I like to use cashew cream or vanilla pastry cream and so on. I soak cashews ahead. These were soaked for a day. They're draining. And then once they're absolutely drained, I put these in a container. I put them in my freezer and I will mark the weight so I know. I know that one cup of cashews, these are raw cashews, whole cashews. When they are dry, it's 142 grams. When they're soaked, of course, it's more. But I'm just going to juggle this for a minute. I don't know if you can see the liquid in the bottom, but for anybody who's in the course that says, gee, I had trouble getting the pastry cream thick enough, when I say let it drain, there's a reason for that. And also, you want to think about having, you know, in terms of tools, I count kitchen cloths as tools. I have the ones with the red stripe are actually for wrapping my vegetables. I like to prep not only the ingredients I need for desserts, but also my greens and, and, the, and the, you know, the produce. So I wrap them. I clean them and wrap them. And then I've got these because we want to have enough kitchen cloths to work with. And then clean. We want to keep our kitchen clean. The very first thing that I do, even when I'm rushing, even when it's the holiday, is I go into my kitchen and I make sure that it's really clean. I just feel better when my, I know my counters are really clean. And I mean, not just for sanitary reasons, but it's a kind of a Zen thing. And then I really do pay attention to one thing at a time. So we talked about getting your aquafaba reduced. Now that's a lot of aquafaba that I have, but I eat a lot of chickpeas. So it's no problem at all. Even if you're using the canned aquafaba, you still want to reduce it. Get your cashews soaked ahead, get your sugars to the consistency that the recipe says they should be. Make sure you have dry sifters for straining and bowls. Toast your seeds and nuts ahead. Prep them. This is all mise en place, which is so important. It's really stressed in the Ruby courses because it makes your flow. <laughs> it means you're not going to have a problem. You know, if your recipe calls for a quarter of a teaspoon of cinnamon and you don't have it, you can make the recipe. If it calls for a quarter of a teaspoon of baking powder, baking soda, and yours isn't fresh or you're out of it, you might be out of luck. So you want to make sure about that. And I'm just kind of looking around. So in terms of the pumpkin, I like cooking the spices, the typical spices that go into pumpkin for pumpkin pie, for pumpkin cookies, for pumpkin bread pudding, for anything. I like cooking the spices in 
instead of just mixing them in. And this is something that I've done for years. It does darken the color of the pumpkin. But the feedback that I get from students in the course who are using this technique is that it makes the pumpkin desserts, it just takes them to next level. So this is something that can be done in advance. In that recipe, it's not in my head exactly, but I think there's a combination of whole cane, which has all the molasses in it, gives it that nice taste, and some cane sugar. You could use coconut sugar instead if you want. I have a chart to show you that I made ahead and that although it is a chocolate tart and it's actually raw, it's the raw cacao tart, but I think in the course, both Plant Pro and Essential Vegan Desserts is called the chocolate tart. It's very rich. It's made with dates and it's just luscious. So I made one and I put it in the freezer and I'm going to use, I'm going to, it's very rich tasting. I'm going to serve it with candied cranberries or cranberry coulis. But if you're wondering why I'm showing you this big, beautiful basket of mushrooms, well, these were a gift that came to me today. And I just, I'm just thrilled. Look at these beautiful, beautiful mushrooms. So this won't necessarily be a dessert. This will be part of a holiday meal. But you know what? I have actually used dried mushroom powder in ganache to make truffles. And it really works very nicely. You know, when you're trying something that you're not sure, well, I wasn't sure how dried mushroom powder would work in a chocolate dessert and or I wasn't sure how rosemary would work in a chocolate frosting, you make a small amount. And that's how I encourage you to test recipes. Holiday prep time isn't necessarily the best time to be testing recipes. You do that ahead so that you're not going to be stressed about it. But whenever you test a recipe, just divide it in half or divide it by a quarter. And remember what Julia Child said. She said, never apologize. Just, you know, serve your food proudly. If it's really inedible, that happens occasionally. With a cake, unless the flavor is just awful, like the year that I used salt instead of sugar to make my son's baked Alaska, that couldn't be saved. But almost anything can be saved. If your cake hasn't baked in the middle or it's a little gummy or it's a little dry, you can crumb it and make crumbs and make a crumb crust and then you're good to go. So I want to show you this tart and then I'm going to start answering some questions. So I made this tart, I would say two weeks ago. Now, I really prefer not to use plastic, but sometimes I have to and I will reuse it. This tart was in a tart pan with a removable bottom. The trick to unmolding these is to make sure that they are very frozen. They're really frozen. This doesn't freeze hard, hard, but it freezes. So I've got it on a board and that's something else that I always have on my list. Do I have parchment? Do I have cake boards? The cake boards that are coated are the better ones to use. 
this one is not but this is on top so this could be you know this is an unbaked crust so it could be considered a little bit on the fragile side although in these fluted pans we could say that any of them are i have a piece of parchment on the top and here's my tart and yes <laughs> there are two pieces missing someone might say that's one piece but for me that's two and it's delicious absolutely delicious so here's an example of a cake of a tart that you can make ahead and keep in your freezer and it's ready for you when it is dessert time now there are lots of desserts like that baked alaska is another one but almost all i would say all of the cakes that i make i should never say all but pretty much all of the cakes that i make the layers can be made ahead cooled frozen and defrosted the same with the frostings or icings or creams that you might want to use so i always think about component desserts component is the cake ready how am I going to frost it? What am I using? The pumpkin is ready. The tofu is ready and so on. And that's what I would encourage you all to do. Let me put this pie. I don't want anything to happen to that. Something curious happened with that chart to me. And I know some of you here have been in the courses, so you are familiar with that recipe. It uses a little bit of, the recipe calls for a little bit of ancho. Well, not ancho. The recipe calls for chili powder. I don't have a palate that likes spicy food. You've heard me say that before, but I like ancho chili powder very much. Uh, it's smoky. So I used it and I think I used a little bit more than usual, but not a lot. And when I tasted it, because that crust is nuts and primarily nuts and dates and nut butter if i remember right and a little bit of coconut butter so i don't have to worry about eating it raw you don't want to eat any raw flour we used to say vegan desserts it doesn't matter go ahead and taste the batter before it's baked there's no eggs there's no salmonella but salmonella has been a persistent problem in flour so you don't want to do that i could taste this tasted fine, just enough spice. But as it's frozen, it seems the spice seems to have intensified. Now that's backwards from everything I've ever learned. I've always said that when something is cold, the sweetness diminishes, the spice diminishes. So maybe I used more than I thought. I don't know. All right, I'm going to start answering some questions here. So here's a question from my friend Char Nolan, Chef Char which is the best egg replacer for creating light desserts? Flax meal, egg, flax meal egg. So a flax egg is essentially one tablespoon of ground flax, finely ground flax, and three tablespoons of water. Although I have made flax egg with decaf coffee, I've made it with aquafaba, it works or commercial egg replacer. I'm not concerned, sure, it's not concerned about the omega-3s, but more focused on the lightness of the cake. That's a really good question, sure. Thank you for asking. So when we're replacing eggs, there are many different egg replacements available. And in terms of commercial egg replacers, there are several. 
in the market and they all behave a little bit differently. So I'm gonna give you an example here. I have a recipe in my cookbook, Vegan Chocolate, for a black, what's, it's an old fashioned dessert called a black bottom cupcake. So it's a kind of an accidentally vegan cake. And then there's cream cheese that goes in with some chocolate chips and probably sweetener. In my book, I use a chia egg replacement, which is the same as a flax egg replacement, but I think it's a little bit milder in flavor. One day I got curious and it works great. One day I got curious and I made three batches of, or I divided it and made three different egg replacer tests to see what happened. They were all right. They, in other words, they were all correct. They all tasted fine, but they were all quite different. So the chia or flax egg was, I felt that it was the best. The aquafaba was different from the commercial egg replacer. The answer, Char, is that it really depends so much on the recipe. A lot of a lightness of the cake has really nothing to do with the egg replacer. It has to do with the other egg replacements bind and create, should create some leavening. Flax gel, flax egg, aquafaba egg do not add anything to the leavening. You need baking powder. Generally baking powder, baking soda, and vinegar are what creates a lightness to a cake. So you need the right kind of flour using, I know Char is whole food plant-based and primarily no oil. When you're using a whole wheat pastry flour without any AP flour and without any oil, you are going to have a cake that is more dense than one that has that has a mix of flours, maybe whole wheat pastry flour and some AP flour and some fat I would add some fruit puree, try some applesauce with that. But Char, you're going to need to divide your recipe, you know, a quarter this, a quarter this, a quarter this, and get going. In terms of the commercial egg replacers, I've used the bobs the most, but I don't use a lot. I hope that put you on a track. Okay, it's Chef Kirk. Hi, Kirk. Kirk says, I love working with coconut milk, but hate the saturated fat. What's a good substitute, but still gives the qualities of the fat for tenderizing and luxurious mouthfeel. Don't forget flavor. Well, we never want to forget flavor. Well, that's another one of those questions that has <laughs> a kind of a interesting answer or the kind of answer where I want to say, please don't hurt the messenger. Okay. So I don't want everything to taste like coconut milk, and I don't use a lot of coconut milk when I do, I use it in recipes where it matters. Coconut milk, the fat content of full fat coconut milk, don't be buying light. Please don't buy light. You're paying for water. If you want to make light coconut milk, mix your canned coconut milk with water. So that is the closest in terms of fat to heavy cream. So there is a point to using it. But I have found that a good example of other fat with a decent fat quantity is if you think about a milk, if any of you are familiar with plant milks, soy milk has a really nice 
It's got a lot of protein and it has a fair amount of fat, not the same as the fat in coconut milk, but it works the best. It collabors really well. It gives a nice fluffy cake and it makes a nice truffle. So you get that luxurious mouthfeel. I have in my refrigerator several different kinds of Oatly oat milk. And some of you may be familiar with Oatly. I've got the Oatly no fat milk. It's kind of gray in color. And it reminds me of, I haven't seen skim milk in years, but I remember skim milk and that's what it looks like. And it's maybe like using rice milk, which is a very thin milk. I've got the Oatly in the lighter blue container, which has some fat added to it, and it's pretty decent. I've got the Oatly full fat, <laughs> which makes things a bit more luxurious. And the fat that they use, that the oat, oat milk people use, is rapeseed oil. In this country, we call that canola oil. And then there's the barista brand, which the barista, which has the most fat. So what I would say, Kirk, is there is also plant cream available now. The one that I've seen that I like, I know Oatly has one across the pond, but it hasn't come here yet. Flora, F-L-O-R-A cream. Uh, it has a decent ingredient list. It's certainly, I'm positive that it has some palm oil in it. So it's going to have some saturated, some plant-based saturated fat. So the answer, Kurt, really is that in, if you're looking to make something very creamy, try cashew milk, a nice thick cashew milk. If nuts are not a problem for you, that will mimic the fat in coconut milk. I hope that helps. So, Shara's another question. What's your thoughts on using macadamia nuts uh, for creams and frosting? Macadamia. Oh, this is Shar W. This is a different Shar. This Shar M. And hi, Shar W. Uh, Shar W. Oh, you're in our course. Macadamia nuts are fatty nuts. When I say fatty, you know, people go, oh my God, fat. But there's good fat too. Be careful with them. They make a pretty luxurious cream, but they go too oily pretty quickly. So you want to be careful when you're processing them that, that you don't over-process them. And again, I would have to say, you're going to have to do some testing. Hi, Terry. So Terry B would like advice on how to determine a menu item or recipe that will please as many people as possible. How do you go about determining or surveying ahead what house guests will enjoy. I agree, ingredients are expensive and you want to avoid waste. Well, Terry, if you're inviting people over, you know, sometimes I'll say, is there anything that you really don't like or can't eat? And I think that's become a question that's pretty typical today. So I don't feel uncomfortable about saying that. Um, you know, I've had people say, I don't like Brussels sprouts. You know, I just don't like Brussels sprouts. Of course, when you prepare them beautifully, all of a sudden, everybody likes Brussels sprouts. My youngest grandson, my daughter told me this story recently, said she made my chocolate cake to live for. And he said, Eli said, you know, mom, I don't like dark chocolate. 
but he had a piece of that cake and then he wanted a second piece. So part of it is some people have allergies. Some people have things they really don't care for. You can ask them, is there anything that you really don't like to eat or prefer not to eat or can't eat? And then you decide what you feel like eating, what makes sense to you for your celebratory meal and make something that's really delicious and make a variety. I think this, when we're having guests in and a number, maybe a larger number of people than we have had for the last few years, you can make, you know, make a variety, make a big table and then a, not necessarily a buffet, but think about having all these different choices for people. And if there is one dish they don't like, there'll be another one that they do like. So Terry also says, you're thorough in your presentations. Well, thank you. Um, I've I definitely, I think I touched on this earlier that I do advanced prep. So when it comes to my vegetables, as soon as they come back, I come back from the market, they get prepped and they get stored. Root vegetables don't have, you know, they're fine. They're good to go. And if the weather gets cold again, my terrace will be kind of my root cellar again. You know, I never did get, I think I've said this now for two years, I was supposed to renovate my kitchen. The pandemic stopped that. Now nobody can start. Everybody seems to be starting at the same time. And there are, you know, I, I have a rather ordinary refrigerator and freezer space. I did buy a small refrigerator for the back of my house. Still with organization, I'm able to keep my already soaked nuts in the freezer. And I make my grains ahead, both for and reheat them both for convenience and because I believe that resistant starch makes sense. So I will make grains ahead, whether it's just toasting them and putting them in a bag that says a package that says already toasted, whatever. That's a good thing to do. And I've got all of my dessert prepped, you know, my components prepped, whether it's the date paste and the plum, dried plum paste, prune, you know, to me, it's always going to be prune, <laughs> but the marketers call that dried plums. Now my sugars are ready. My cocoa powder is ready. I buzz. <laughs> I put my confectioner sugar in the dry bowl of my Vitamix to get it kind of pre-sifted when you're buying organic vegan Confectioner sugar, most of the brands use tapioca starch instead of the corn starch that's in non-vegan or non-organic confectioner sugar. And the, so ours tends to clump a little bit more and I've got that ready to go. I've got cake layers ready and, you know, my aquafaba is ready. So I'm in pretty good shape. I buy some nut butters. I also make some. They're in my fridge there in my fridge. So I hope that that will help you. But definitely, you know, most dishes can freeze and many dishes benefit from a day in the refrigerator. If you make the chocolate mousse, whether it's the 
what we call the breaks the rule chocolate mousse or the light and airy chocolate mousse that will keep in your fridge for a couple of days and it can be frozen. The baked Alaska can be frozen. Uh, agar desserts, I don't freeze them, but they will stay in your refrigerator for quite a period of time. So just kind of don't think about you have to, you know, do a perfect menu, but start drafting as early as you can and get inspired by looking through recipes in the Ruby courses or in magazines or, you know, in the shops and think about what appeals to you. You know, sometimes I'll go to the farmer's market and I'll think, oh, you know, that that's really calling to me. Or, or I'll look at my different cocoa powders or chocolates and think, you know, I think I want to try to do this and that and the other thing. And don't stress, you know, the Buddhists say when you're stirring the rice, stir the rice. And that's what I do. I just breathe through it and think about why am I having this holiday meal, not to be stressed out, not to be stuck in the kitchen, but to be with my friends and family. So Geraldine wants to know what's my, what are my favorite must have kitchen tools for all chocoholics? <laughs> well, speaking of that, I should say it's in terms of prepping ahead is that I always finally chop my chocolate ahead, weigh it, and put them in different containers with the percentage, the brand, and the amount of chocolate. So for chocolates, I don't think there are, you know, there's not a whole lot of special tools that I have. I use a bain, I make a bain-marie, which is for melting chocolate, a pot with just a little bit of water in it, a bowl that where the bowl doesn't touch the water and that's my chocolate melter i like very clean everything should be very clean you don't want any water touching your chocolate so silicone spatulas <laughs> i like these i have a chocolate chopper <laughs> it's like a looks like a giant fork for if i have a big block of chocolate that needs to be chunked up but a lot of the and a lot of the chocolates that I do use come as pellets. They're small, so I use that. A where do I? I have it right here. This is an infrared thermometer. I think it's a terrific. It's really fun. I've been using this actually to test the temperature of my oven too. Uh, so this is something when temperature of your chocolate matters. I encourage you to get. An infrared gun, you need scales, electronic scales. I have two standard ones and a very small one called a jeweler scale for small, for small amounts. So those are pretty much it. I had at one point, I had an electric chocolate melter. I don't think it's made anymore. But when I'm prepping, and certainly for holidays, I have five burners on my stove. I always like to keep a pot of water at a simmer in case, like in case something has to be thinned, in case the soup has to be thinned, then it's just ready in case a piece of tofu has to be blanched. So that's what I say. And welcome, Chocoholic. Anne wants to know what's my favorite holiday dessert. Well, 
for me, <laughs> it's chocolate cake with this time of the year with cranberry. I just love that combination. If my son and his family are around, I'm going to have pumpkin pie as well. And I've come, I wasn't a pumpkin pie liker even, let alone lover, but I really like it now. Uh, so we have pumpkin pie. We have always something light. I like citrus desserts. I like baked apples. I like poached pears too, because I think we want balance. If we're having a rich tart and a rich cake, then I also want to have an agar dessert, which is naturally gluten-free, added sugar-free, oil-free, and refreshing. So I will have that, and I'll have some creams. Um, my mother-in-law was a tremendous cook. She was fabulous. She was really my mentor. And she made these enormous Thanksgivings and finished with an ice cream sundae bar. For me, that's a little over the top, but some people do like a frozen dessert after a big meal. So for me, that would be baked Alaska. And a, a tray of cookies is always nice. Cookies can be made ahead. Certainly truffles can be made ahead, both chocolate truffles. Think about using spices that we know are good for digestion in any of your chocolate desserts or other desserts like ginger and anise, for example, are really good for your digestion. So that's something that I would do too. And then have some fruit, whether it's poached, baked, or a fruit salad for people who would prefer that. Uh, Gail says, can't wait to learn about holiday desserts. Gail uses coconut oil for baking. However, she has high cholesterol and knows that coconut oil may not be the best oil to use. Well, definitely, I would agree with you. You know, I don't use, I hardly use coconut oil. Um, I have nothing against it in certain applications, but I use a more neutral oil. I use a mild flavored extra virgin olive oil, the one from California Olive Ranch that's called Everyday is the one that I use. Lately, I've been using sunflower oil for my desserts. I just, I think it's almost buttery. I like that. And then of course there are the vegan butters. So Gail, if you're, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> if your cholesterol is high, it's not just the coconut oil. You want to really cut back on all of the added oils in your dessert and look at other kinds of desserts, maybe like puddings and agar gels and, and fresh fruit always and increase your grains and beans. So that's what I would say. You don't have to use coconut oil at all. Linda C. says, would I share a crust? a pastry crust recipe that is not containing high amounts of vegan butter. Okay, Linda, in our Essential Vegan Desserts course, the pastry crust that we make is made with oil, not with butter. When we're converting from butter to oil, you use three quarters of the amount of oil that you would for butter. So that's one thing that I would tell you that you can do. 
Um, and the reason for that, you know, sometimes people wonder why I'm teaching an oil-based crust and not a butter crust. Anyone can figure out, anyone who, who has made pie dough can do the same thing with a vegan butter. You just follow the technique, but it's more interesting to learn how to do it with oil. So that's one thing that you can do. Terry Lynn, hi, Terry Lynn. Time for pie. Well, yeah, holidays or particularly Thanksgiving is the pie holiday for Christmas time to me. That's the bouche de Noel, the cake time. So Terry has been working on a gluten-free pie crust. I know she has that will enable her to have enough elasticity to braid the top crust. Um, I, you know, gluten-free pie dough is difficult. You can try using, I know that you've been working on this for quite a while. You can try using some tapioca flour because that's going to give it a little bit of stretch. Also, I heard recently that, what is it? Um, I'm going to have to get back to you. I, it just went out of my head, but there is an ingredient, psyllium husk. I heard that psyllium husk has a nicer, has a kind of a stretch to it. So you can try that. In terms of braiding a top crust, that's really hard to do. You can do a design on a, on a piece of parchment and lift it on, lift it on. So Terilyn also says she's noticed that most gluten-free vegan desserts don't hold freshness very long. Um, I haven't found that in a well-made vegan dessert or a gluten-free dessert. I think that they do hold freshness. What When a dessert is lower fat, it's going to get stale more quickly. What I do is I keep my those desserts in the refrigerator or freezer, and then it's just wonderful. And another thing you can do is if you're worried about dryness, my cakes tend to be very moist actually, is brush them with a little bit of maple syrup and water or maple syrup and a complimentary a plant milk or even um, a juice and like making a sugar syrup only it's about a sugar syrup and that will work recently you know sometimes i let things stale on purpose i mean it sounds crazy but i do because i want to see if i'm making a recipe then okay it tastes good now how's it going to taste in an hour or two hours or tomorrow when i'm serving it in the freezer out of the freezer and so on. Recently, I had a cake that had just had it. You know, it had been in and out of the freezer for so many times. I warmed, and it actually had a ganache glaze on it. I've got to change ear, ear thing. So just bear with me for a minute because I heard this little thing. All right. And I warmed it, and it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. So that was cool. Uh, you can you can do that too. Um, Okay, so Linda says, vegan butter normally contains coconut oil and vegetable oil. According to Dr. Bernard, coconut oil is a bad oil. Um, I don't use a lot of vegan butter. Again, I tend to use more oil. When I'm, if I'm doing a laminated dough <laughs> or an ermine frosting and I need a high fat butter, I use flora butter which is 
2% fat. And I don't know off the top of my head if it has coconut oil in it. It probably has palm oil in it, which is a saturated fat. Um, Miyoko's butter. Is there anybody here who knows if Miyoko has coconut oil in her butter? I don't think so. Her butter, I think, is cashew-based. So that might be a better choice for you. But if you're concerned about saturated fat, then just be careful about the dessert. You know, desserts are a treat. We want to make something that's going to taste absolutely positively delicious. Serve a smaller piece, make it really well. Serve a smaller piece, fill out the plate with fruit and have it as a treat is really the answer. Oh, it's Marina, the date queen. Marina's final, which is our capstone exam for the Essential Vegan Desserts course is five small desserts plated and beautifully presented. And Marina did every dessert was a date-based dessert, but not boring. I mean, they were fabulous. So I wanted to, she stopped by to say hi. And I think I want to say hi to you too. From Marina, I learned, now I use a lot of dates. I just ordered 15 pounds of dates and I see Kathy Gold, Chef Kathy is here and Kathy, and Joy Manning and I, we each bought 15 pounds of dates for one shipping cost. And we all live near each other, which is something you can do. But Marina told the Facebook group, the Essential Vegan Desserts Facebook group, that she saved all the dates because her desserts were date focused and roasted the pits and ground them and made coffee, which was delicious. And then sure enough, I looked into that and it's a thing. So thanks for stopping by. Jackie says, lovely to meet you. Well, it's lovely to meet you too. Um, you're looking forward to making all kinds of delicious holiday desserts. Well, I'm glad you are, and I'd like to know what they are. So you can let us know. Hi, Laura. Laura wants to know if I have a pre preferred brand of vegan honey. Laura, I make my own honey, and there's a recipe in the course, and I make it by cooking together and pretty much boiling off a lot of the water, maple syrup and rice syrup and agave. I add citrus. I happen to love, uh, it's kind of like orange blossom honey, but I think it works really well. So I haven't bought any commercial vegan honey. If anyone here knows about that or has a special brand that they like, would you let us know? Sherry says, how do you use psyllium husk? You, she used it to make vegan buckwheat bread and it didn't turn out well. Well, Sherry, I'm sorry your bread didn't turn out well. That's, you know, it might not have been just the psyllium husk. I would need to know more about your recipe. I don't use psyllium often, but psyllium has the same properties. Think of it like flax and chia in terms of making an egg but it's a little bit different and it comes in a powdered form and it comes in the husk form. So um, you need to look at your buckwheat bread and see, I mean, that sounds like a gluten-free bread that you made. So there are probably a lot of places that it may have gotten off. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Laura's is a properly cooked trumpet mushroom dipped in my ganache is quite delicious. Well, there you go. Well, I've got those beautiful mushrooms and I've got ganache in my fridge. So I think I will be trying that. Thank you, Laura. 
Well, I got through all of the questions. I want to thank you all. Um, I hope I'll see you next month where we're go I'm going to be doing a recipe. But I want to leave you with the thought that holidays are for celebrations. Perhaps we're going to be able to be with friends and family that we've been missing. Whether we're doing the cooking in our own home, I'm probably going to be with one of my children, maybe in Bucks County, maybe in Los Angeles, I don't know yet. And I will be participating in the cooking. If it's someone else's house, we will consult on the menu or <laughs> what I do, I try not to be super bossy about it, but when there are things I really want, I let people know. Just remember to relax. Don't stress. It's food. <laughs> Prep ahead. And that, it, that counts for not only buying your ingredients, looking at your ingredients. Are your spices fresh? Give them a little sniff. <laughs> Give them a sniff and find out. Replace things. You've got time now. And then just make a list what it, you're thinking you want to eat, what ingredients you're going to need to get, what can be made ahead. Think in terms of components, what can go in the fridge, what can go in the freezer. And also your oven space when you're doing desserts. Now, I have one oven in this kitchen. I recently bought a countertop convection oven, and I find that that's really helpful. I had to give up a little bit of counter real estate, but it's working. I also have an induction burner. They're pretty inexpensive, and they work really well. So if you need another surface for cooking something, You've got it. Most of today's cookware will work on induction burners. Um, you can you put a magnet on the bottom, and if it sticks, your pot is induction ready. But I learned from Chef Kathy Gold that there are pads that are sold that will make your induction burner work like a regular burner. So I want to leave you with wishes for a very happy holiday enjoy the process enjoy your food i'd love to know what you make if you're in the course and you're on social media use the hashtag essential vegan desserts so we can find each other and just stay well stay safe stay happy and enjoy thank you very much bye